Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Milne-Tide. Coming up on the show this time, the nuances of negotiating. Is a female manager less likely to advocate for a woman employee than a male boss? Even in her position, she felt like she had gotten by with not having a raise in three years, so that should be okay. And we return to the topic of women in technology and ask why so many women at technology firms manage projects or people rather than write code. We see that kind of caretaking work as primarily women's domain, and I think also as less valuable because historically it's been done by women. Coming up on The Broad Experience. A few months ago, I read a blog post by Ashley Weldy. She runs her own research company, JLW Ventures. In her post, Ashley raised a fascinating possibility, one I'd never considered in the reporting I've already done on negotiating and how much women underprice themselves, that female bosses may do a worse job of being your advocate when you're a woman yourself. I got on the phone with Ashley and asked her to tell more of the story that led her to this conclusion. Back in the late 90s, she graduated from business school and landed a job at a big corporation. A year later, the firm introduced an official MBA intake program and brought on a whole bunch of business school graduates. And everyone got the same starting salary, which was about 25000 more than I had made. So there she was with the same business school experience and having already clocked up a year on the job. She went to her boss, who happened to be female, and she presented her case. She laid out the work she'd done at the company that year, the goals she'd met, and asked politely for a $25,000 raise to match the salary of the incoming MBAs. And she looked at me like she couldn't believe I was asking for $25,000. That was incredible to her. And she said, but I barely make more than that. And I said, well, maybe you should make more than that then. So you should get a raise and I should get a raise. And she just couldn't believe that I had the gall to ask for that. And since I could tell she wasn't going to go to bat for me, I went to HR. Again, she cited her achievements of the past year and reiterated that in addition to what she'd already done at the company, she had the exact same business school experience as these new employees who earned so much more than she did. She said that's a really interesting point, and I think we should work on, um, you know, salary parity at the company, so I'm going to take that on as a project, and, you know, I will use your case as part of my project. But Ashley knew that a project like that at a lumbering giant of a company like hers would take six months to a year to complete. Luckily for her, all this happened in the middle of the dot-com boom. She looked elsewhere, landed a job at a startup, and doubled her salary. Now, you could argue that any manager would have been shocked at the idea of giving her such a sizable raise, and maybe a man would have given her the brush off too. But that wasn't her last experience of negotiating with a female boss, albeit for a less significant pay hike, and being turned down. 
Several years later, at another firm, she asked for a raise only for this very senior woman to tell her, but I haven't had a raise in three years. Ashley says this person was a supportive manager. She thinks she was just surprised by her request, and she says thinking about it, she'd be taken aback if the same thing happened to her. I don't think I'd have a problem with it. I don't think my boss had a problem with it. I think it just surprised her. And she also, even in her position, she felt like she had gotten by with not having a raise in three years, so that should be okay. And I, th- I think it did make her and, and my other boss think twice about themselves, thinking maybe they should be asking for a raise too. So I think, you know, in a good way, it put a bee in their bonnet to, to realize that maybe they'd been undervalued and hadn't been advocating for themselves. Ashley's witnessed this lack of advocacy in the women she's managed herself. She says men would ask for raises, not just at their annual review, but at other points during the year, whenever they felt they deserved it. But women? She says she can't remember one occasion when a woman asked her for a raise at any time other than her annual review. But maybe there is something more to these rejections than just surprise on the manager's part. I think it's possible that the negative response a female boss has to a female report asking for a raise may have less to do with the fact that it's a raise she's asking for than with the fact that we, as a society, don't like women that we perceive to be too aggressive. That's Sarah Lashava, co-author of two books on negotiating, Women Don't Ask and Ask For It. Negotiation tends to be experienced, interpreted as a rather aggressive kind of interaction, a kind of an aggressive behavior. And so if a woman comes in and does something that we think, well, she's coming on kind of strong, she's a little bit pushy, both men and women are going to respond and push back. And there is research showing that both men and women expect women in a negotiation to concede more and accept less. Which is pretty depressing, but cultural attitudes run deep, including women's attitudes to ourselves and what we do and don't deserve. There are ways to work around these aggravating facts, as Sarah lays out in Ask For It. She says there's no rigorous research on negotiations between a female report and a female boss, only anecdotal evidence from women complaining of their bad experiences, and she's heard plenty of those gripes herself. Still, she says there could be subtle factors at work here that make it seem like a female boss is a disappointing advocate. One thing that we do know is that women tend to judge female bosses more harshly than male bosses, and they tend to remember when a woman boss doesn't do something that they would experience as caretaking, as looking out for them, because it is a normative expectation in our society that women will be caretaking. We think women should be communal, should be looking out for other people. And so when women don't abide by those normative roles, it is more noticeable and it bothers us more. When a man isn't caretaking, we either aren't as bothered or we don't even register it as something to be critical of. We move on by. So at least some of this may come down to thousands of years of social conditioning and what both sexes see as appropriate behavior for women. When I read this, the reason it rang bells for me, because it does make sense to me that if we as women undervalue ourselves, that it follows that we may either undervalue other women as well as think, you know, what a cheek she has asking for that raise. Who the hell does she think she is? Right. 
something I would urge is for women, when they see other women behaving in ways that initially strike them as a little bit cheeky, a little bit too aggressive, to pause, check that impulse and say, good for her. <laughs> you know, I want to be more like her as opposed to, you know, I want to squelch her or, or you know, discourage her from that kind of behavior. Yeah, because... Um you know, these impulses are so deep-seated within us. We, they're yeah. so subconscious a lot of the time. Truly. And um, it's not something I want to, you know, blame these women bosses for or, or blame the employees who haven't asked in just the perfect way. It's complicated. That's for sure. The big unanswered question, of course, is whether female bosses flummoxed by the courage of their female employees react the same way to a man asking for a raise. I'd love to hear about your experiences with negotiation, whether you're male or female, manager or managed, or both. You can post a comment under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. Just click the Episodes tab at the top of the page to find this one. Continuing with the theme of women as caretakers, several weeks ago, I read a blog post by entrepreneur and writer Lauren Bacon. She's based in Vancouver and for 12 years ran her own technology company. In her post, she talked about how few of the women who work in technology, and that's not a lot to begin with, work in true technological roles such as engineers. What we see is correspondingly higher representation among women for the more sort of empathetic roles, I call them emotional labor roles or uh, empathy roles within organizations. Like project managers or customer service reps. But if they do, so what? A lot of women will tell you straight out that they enjoy helping people or that they have organizational skills that they get great satisfaction out of using on the job. So what's the problem? Lauren says it may be subtle, but there is one. We see that kind of caretaking work as primarily uh, women's domain, and I think also as less valuable because historically it's been done by women. It's simply that it's sort of assumed to be uh, a skill set that almost any woman possesses, and that therefore we can just hire a woman and stick her in any kind of empathy role, and, and that it's not a highly valued skill set. Her blog post sprang in part from reading an article about a former Facebook employee, a woman called Catherine Loss, who came out with a book last year about her time at Facebook. It's called The Boy Kings. Loss talks about the number of women like her who had customer service roles at Facebook, roles that were seen as vital to the growing company but weren't that lucrative, and they involved a lot of what Lauren Bacon calls emotional labor, the kinds of things that add up time-wise even when they're not officially part of your job description. You know, one of the commenters on my blog who, whose input I really appreciated was, you know, hey, women, we need to stop offering to do these things. Like one of the examples I put in my post was um, a, a fellow entrepreneur who was um, very excited to share that he just hired his first female employee. And he and one of the things he was most excited about was that she makes everyone stop and eat lunch. And I and, and you know, this commenter said, uh, what business is it of this woman's whether her colleagues are eating their lunch? Like, why is she volunteering to worry about that? You know, it's, it's, and so she certainly can take responsibility for her own actions and her contributions to that, uh, to that culture by saying, okay, you know what, I, I, I'm going to stop interfering in other people's eating plans and, and focus on my work. You know, so there's certainly lots to be to be said for that aspect of things. 
And by the same token, in my dream world, um, the fellow who uttered those words will have read my post and sort of start questioning how exactly he's placing value on that woman employee's uh, contributions to the team. She says what concerns her is whether women end up doing the jobs we do because they challenge us and we're good at them, or if we do them because we assume this is all we can do. I would just love to see more women uh, making their career choices uh, with a really uh, clear-headed, long view and seeing, okay, you know, I'm not going to choose to do this just because everybody expects me to and just because it's it comes easily to me, but I'm going to look at it with... Uh, both what's fun for me and uh, what's going to help me reach my ultimate career goals. And if your career goals include having prestige and being paid very well, then engineering uh, roles are, are probably are more likely to get you there. You know, so I just I feel like a lot of women, um, you know, we, we have kind of internal pressures that um can sometimes limit our visions of what we're capable of, you know, and we also have external pressures um, from other people who are asking us to take on project management and then getting stuck in that role because we're good at it rather than because it's something we really, really want to do. So I think what I would really love to see is women not curtailing our own ambitions um, for the sake of what others expect of us um, or for the sake of, of what, you know, feels most comfortable. Though feeling comfortable is rather pleasant, at least for a while. In the next show, we'll be talking about why women tend to stay in jobs longer than men, even when the job is no longer a good fit. That's it for this time. You can access some of the articles and books referenced during this show by going to thebroadexperience.com and hitting the Episodes tab. The Broad Experience is sponsored by SoundCloud and by the Mule Radio Syndicate. Alexander Brusensev composed the theme music and the Broad Experience logo was designed by Christy Carroll. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.